All right, well, happy Easter. On this Easter morning, I want to speak to you of the possibility of new life. What I mean is this, that it is possible for us to experience new and transformed living. I was reminded in a lecture this week that I attended uh, that we all feel this tension. There is the tension of who we are, and there is the tension of the person that we are trying to become, the person we want to be. The promise of Easter is that transformation is possible. It is possible to be transformed into the man or the woman we are meant to be, which often can feel and seem a little different than the person we want to be. We've all experienced the complexity and pain, and to this, listen closely, we have all experienced the complexity and the pain that we cause when we ourselves do what we know that we should not. And we have experienced the complexity and pain when we don't do what we know that we should. The Bible talks about this tension, this dynamic, and it refers to this dynamic as the enslaving power of sin at work in our lives. I have known some who believe, like the French philosopher Voltaire, who said, God will forgive me. That is his job. For many, the grip of sin sin seems so strong that they give in believing that they are okay because it is simply too hard to choose anything else and that God will forgive me. After all, I've heard many times that it is too hard to live a Christian life and since we are only human anyway, sin is inevitable and as a result, in the mind of some, not that big of a deal. But there is another group of people who I know who live just as defeated in their lives. They are those who bear the terrible weight and the guilt and the shame of their own decisions and their own sin, but who also feel the terrible uh, inability to do anything about it, who truly believe that they do not possess the spiritual resources necessary to do anything else than the sinful patterns that they are already engaged in, and as a result, fall into hopeless and defeated thinking. Whether your thoughts this morning are about, I just don't care, or whether they are about, I know I will sin, but it's blasé faire, God will forgive me, or whether you feel the crushing weight of sin, the entire point of the passage that we will look at for just a few moments this morning is to address all of these thoughts. It is to answer this question, how do we experience freedom from the power of sin? And whether you don't think you need freedom, or whether you think God will just forgive, or whether you are feeling the crushing weight of guilt and shame, you need to understand a little bit more, or be reminded anew of what Paul says in Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 14. If you're following along with me, you can use one of our Bibles that we provide. It's on page 914, starting 914. Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 14. And as we turn there, I want to remind you, we are looking at this question, how do we experience freedom from the power of sin? This passage is going to teach us three things. I'm going to read it, and then we're going to look at those three things. It's going to teach us two ways that we need to change our thinking, and it's going to teach us one thing that we need to do. So three truths, two that we need to think differently about, one that we need to live differently about. Romans chapter 6, verse 1. 
What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. For we are those who have died to sin. How is it that we can live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in death like this, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like this. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again, for death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once and for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to Christ. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law, but under grace. So here we go. Three things. Three truths. Two that you need to change your thinking on, one that you need to change your living on. The first truth is this, and it's going to sound a little dramatic, but here it is. We need, if we are going to be set free from the power of your sin, to be realized, to recognize our own spiritual slavery. The first step is to recognize your spiritual slavery. Notice that Paul pictures sin as a slave master, verses 6 and verse 14. Notice how he pictures entering into the life of Christ as being set free from the master. Verse 7. Paul is saying that you either make God your God or you will make something else your God. There is no way to choose no God. Now how do we know what our God is? Our God is anything that we choose to place all of our value that anything that we choose to spend all of our time thinking about. And there's no way that I can see it just from looking at you in the gray chairs. Your God is the thing that you look to to save you. It is the thing when you put your head on the pillow at night that your last thoughts go towards. Every one of us is in spiritual slavery You'll notice in verse 15 and 16 that Paul says something interesting about spiritual slavery. You can either be a spiritual slave to God, which if you notice in the text, leads to freedom, which sounds very ironic, doesn't it? Or you can be a spiritual slave to anything else, which leads to death. The text here is speaking specifically of the one who has entered into the life of Christ through faith and has now been transformed, even if they may not fully live out of that reality. Which is why we need to understand the second truth this morning. The first is that we are spiritual slaves. We all have a God. 
You can either make the true God your God or you can make something else your God. The second truth that you need to understand is you need to realize your unity with God. Now, this is just language at the moment, but I'll try to fill it in. We need to realize our unity with God. The natural question that arises in this text, and definitely for Paul's readers, is if it is true that we are spiritual slaves to God, then why do we keep returning to sin over and over again? How can we be set free from the power of sin? And Paul says in Romans chapter 6 that we do this first or second by understanding that we have been united with God. That everything that powers the nature of God has accessible to us to power us in our fight against sin. For Paul says that there has been a change in our very nature. Notice the language, we are dead to sin and that death has been given over to new life through the death and resurrection of what Jesus has done on our behalf. N.T. Wright, who's a very famous theologian, says this very clearly about this text. In becoming a Christian, you move from one type of humanity to another so that you should never think of yourself in that former type of humanity again. Or in other words, all Christians have died and are risen with Christ into new life. We are no longer living in the realm of sin, but we are freed to live in the realm of Christ. In verse 3 and 4, it is baptism that symbols all, symbolizes all this. For baptism symbolizes our participation in Christ's death into new life through his resurrection. But of course, it is not baptism itself that saves us. Baptism looks a whole lot like just getting wet. Baptism symbolizes conversion. It symbolizes that through placing our faith in Christ, we are free to live for Christ and experience the joy that follows. And this new life in Christ is possible now. We, when as Christians believe that sin is inevitable due to our old patterns of behavior, are going against the entire point of what Paul is trying to say here. We have been given a new nature. We have been set free by grace through the work of Christ's death and resurrection. We have been baptized into his death and we will be raised and have already been risen into the new life of Jesus' resurrection. Notice that in verse 6, our old self was crucified with Christ, and in the same way we'll be resurrected with him. Paul insists, however unlikely it may sound, even if everything within your soul is telling you that it is not true, that Christ has transformed those who have placed their faith in him, and that all that is true of Christ All that belongs to Christ belongs to us as we've been resurrected into a new way of life. It is like this. Imagine with me that you are a strong and powerful woman. It's hard for me to do that, but um, imagine with me you are a strong and powerful, smart, determined woman. And you're single and you're in your mid-20s. And you're able to amass an incredible fortune through good luck and determination and your intelligence. And after a few years, 
you finally come across a man who you fall hopelessly in love with. I did this intentionally because it's always the woman who gets pictured as the gold digger, but now I wanted to do it different. But this man is not a gold digger. He really loves her. And the two of them are in love, desperately in love, enough so that she takes time away from her pursuits at her job. And finally, their love culminates in marriage. But the man has <laughs> nary a nickel to rub together, two nickels to rub together. Every so often in my sermons, I like talking like old English, yeah? <laughs> Drives engagement. And so we should go back to the King James Bible, yes? No, no. So anyway, that's a Christian joke. It's a bad one. All right, so... But they get married. Now imagine with me that this man has a lot of pride. <laughs> They've gotten married. Everything that belongs to her now belongs to them. There's no prenuptial agreement. Everything that belongs to her belongs to him, but he is prideful. And he decides that he will not participate in her wealth. He will make his own way. And he decides to not accept anything from his wife. Now imagine how the wife feels. She doesn't care that she made the money. This is the love of her life. Everything that is hers, she willingly, not even willingly, wantingly offers up to her man. And yet he says, I will make my own way. If you were the spouse who married into wealth, what would it send? if you refuse to participate in all that your spouse has. Now, the woman got rich, didn't she, by her determination. She got rich by her intelligence. She got rich by probably a little bit of determination and good luck and timing. But notice that the man in this story does not get rich by any of those things. He gets rich if he chooses to live differently through marriage through legal union, through grace, for he has done nothing to earn it. And yet, everything has changed. It is pride that drives us from accepting and admitting this. Everything has changed. Why would you continue to live as you once did when you no longer have to? Do you know, if everything has changed in this way, it is time for those of us who follow Christ, and I, I just love this, to give up our small hopes and our small goals and our little expectations. Too often people ask with foreboding as they consider placing their faith or taking their faith seriously. They ask with foreboding, if I were to become a Christian, or if I'm to dedicate and really live for Christ, what does that mean? Will I have to give up this? And I understand that from one human standpoint. This text, however, reminds us of something completely different. It reminds us that we give up nothing. We are freed from the devastating consequences of our old life to live a new life that leads to joy and fulfillment. 
We are no longer a slave to fear, for we are a child of God. And everything that belongs to God belongs to us. You are freed from the over-reliance on the things that capture your heart and will ultimately destroy you if put in the improper place in your life. Did you know, uh, when I went into college, I just ate at the cafeteria, but after that, I came to this place where I realized I really liked to cook and I liked to bake. Now, my mom, like any good parent, and my dad participated with her, didn't give her son sugar all the time. You know, that's what a bad parent does or a parent that just doesn't care. So my mom limited my intake of cake and pie and all the things that are good in life. And um, when I got out of college and I realized that I could cook, I just started to produce this stuff like a beast, you know? And so I'm eating away, coming up with all these new recipes, you know. I find myself, all my life I thought I was lucky. And then I realized I played soccer through college, you know, and I moved a lot. And I just started to gain weight like crazy. I gained 75 pounds within, and I still wasn't all that depressed about the way I looked, but nevertheless, I, I was a stick when I came out of college. I gained 75 pounds, and um, finally I had to look at myself in the mirror, and I just had to say, I got to change something, you know? But, you know, there's nothing wrong with chocolate angel pie and caramel cake and eclairs. Like, those are good things, Yes. Those are good for Easter every so often, you know, whatever your Easter dessert. It's good at Christmas and Thanksgiving. It's good on your birthday. It's probably not a good idea to have it on every random Tuesday, yeah? And if you do, you'll find yourself enslaved. We over-rely on things, even sometimes things that are good, that when overindulged and relied on, will destroy us. It is time to get rid of our small goals, our little dreams. It is time to stop looking in the rearview mirror of what once was and look ahead by anticipating and participating in the life that brings joy. Now, do you know why a lot of people miss out on this life? I know why. It takes absolute trust to do so. It does. Because there is no promise. Promise in words, yes. The promises of the scripture, but you have to take those by faith. There is no promise. In other words, there's no saying, if I don't do this, then this will definitely, without fail, happen exactly the way I want it. It takes trust. We are used to the old patterns. But if we want to be released from the power of sin into the freedom of walking in the life of Christ and the joy that that brings, then we must take a step of faith. And it is only in those moments when we are walking on the path of obedience that we have the clarity to see what God is doing. Do you see this? This is very, 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 very important. It is only when we are walking on the path of obedience that we have the clarity of vision to see 
what God is doing in our lives. Otherwise, we just go kicking and screaming into a future that we do not want, thinking we are powerless to do anything about it. Everything that belongs to God has been given by grace to us through adoption, through marriage into the family of God. Both are images the New Testament authors use. And what is true of Christ is true of us. Which leads us to our third and final truth. And it's the one that we must do something about. And by this time, it doesn't take a degree and rocket science to figure out where I'll go with it. To realize what Christ has done and to experience the freedom from the power of sin, we must live daily out of our new nature. Everything that is true of Christ is true of us, but to experience the freedom from the power of sin that that reality brings, we must live daily out of our new identity. Our new life in Christ does not mean that we cannot sin, Notice in the text in verse 11 that the text says, count yourself dead to sin. In verse 12, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies. Paul is telling us something very important here. That while we can sin, we do not have to. While we can sin, we do not have to. We need to start counting ourselves dead to Christ so that we can make different decisions. Now, this little word at the beginning of verse 11, count, is actually kind of a budgeting word. A lot of people hate budgets, don't they? If the spouse comes to them and says, I think we need to stick to a budget, what they hear is, it's time to have no more fun ever again. Yeah? (laughs) But I've noticed something in life, that counting your money and what you've spent, like tracking, does not change what you have or what you spent. Does this make sense? Tracking it does not change reality. If you have a stomach ache and you say, I really don't want to go to the doctor, I'm worried what I might have, your stomach is not magically healed by not hearing the diagnosis of what your stomach has wrong with it. Yes? Obviously. And so this little word at the beginning of verse 11, count yourself dead to sins means do up the budget. (laughs) You no longer are a slave to sin. You have the ability to say no. And as a result of tracking and considering your Christian life, you no longer have to make the same decisions you did before. It's the same thing with your budget, isn't it? If you've done up your budget and you set a budget of $100 for clothes and you spent 99 it means you say no to that $5 blouse. <laughs> Like, I buy a lot of those. I don't know if anybody buys blouses today. It was our grandmas that did that. But nevertheless, that came out harsher than I anticipated. Much so. (laughs) So forgive me. We're in a church. It's about grace, yes? You have to do it. If you don't, you're out of fellowship with God. Now, all right. Anyway, um, track, track where you are with God. You have been set free from the power of sin. We are not immune to sin, but we do have the power to say no. 
We are free to choose righteousness. And we are free to experience the blessing of doing so. And all this, whether it feels to you like it or not, is a radical transformation. We had one baptism, our first service. We have one in our second. And you'll see the radical transformation pictured in that. But what baptism really says is, I no longer was who I was. I have been changed, and I declare that to you. And I've been changed as a result of the power of what Jesus has done in my life. And sometimes it's easy to forget where we've come from. Imagine with me, this is a very famous illustration. I don't even know where it originates. It's that old. But imagine with me that you're a tenant and you have an apartment and your landlord is an evil and abusive man. And your landlord, even though you pay your rent every month, every so often just pops into your apartment. He has the key so he can do this. And he comes in with his big muscles and intimidating glare, and he demands that you pay him more money. He is abusive verbally, and he's big enough that you are worried about what would happen if you don't obey him, you know? And after months and months go on like this. And the person, the tenant, has very little money. They don't have enough money to get out of this arrangement and move to another apartment. They don't have enough money for another, uh, you know, deposit. And they've become so accustomed to this behavior that although they tremble at the coming, it is automatic for them to reach for their back pocket. Yes? But something wonderful happens one day. And someone comes into their life who hears of their plight and takes them on as a kind benefactor and pays the rest of their rent for their lease agreement and goes with them when he, they do so. They take the paperwork to the evil landlord and they slap it down on the table. Well, the other person does. The other person's too afraid. Slaps it down on the table, pays up the penalty of breaking the agreement and all of the rent left so that there's no leg to stand on and stares down the landlord until he signs the agreement saying, you are out from under my control. And the benevolent benefactor gets this tenant set up with another apartment. And finally, this beaten down tenant can breathe the free air again. It's so unique, it doesn't even know what it tastes like, you know? And after months of this freedom, one day, to their horror, something terrible happens. The old landlord finally tracks down the location and knocks on the door. And as the old tenant goes back to the old landlord, not knowing who is it at the door, they open the door a crack to see who it is. There's no people. And... The old evil landlord floods into the room, forcing his way past and says, you owe me more money. You are nothing. Pay me more or I will not leave. And the old tenant does what is natural for all of us, actually. 
they reach into their back pocket and they go, and halfway there, as they've got their hand suspended, the tenant thinks to themselves, I am under no more obligation. I have been set free. And so trembling and quietly, they say, I'm no longer your tenant and you are no longer my landlord. Get out. And in this illustration, the landlord leaves with all of his muscles And for once, perhaps for the first time, the tenant realized what it means to be free. Remember what this text is telling us. It is telling us this. Remember who you are. Remember to who you belong. And behave like it is true. Remember who you are. Remember to who you belong. And behave like it is true. There's an incredibly, uh, there was an incredibly famous theologian. His name was St. Augustine. He was so famous that he gets saint put before his name. He was a 4th, 5th century theologian. Perhaps is one of the, the most influential theologians to ever live. He came to Christ later in his life. And as the story goes, he was a very, very promiscuous man sexually before he did so. He had many mistresses. And one day after he came to Christ, he was walking down the road, and one of his old mistresses saw him and came up to him and said, Augustine, let us go back to your room. I am free. I am ready. And Augustine said, no, I think I'm good, and kept walking. And the girl, his old mistress, said, Augustine, do you not recognize me? It is me. And Augustine turns back. It was 1,600 years ago. We don't know exactly how this went. And I envision smiles and says, I know who you are, but it is no longer me. You see? We have been transformed. And we no longer are slaves to the fear of sin. For we are children of God. Remember who you are. Remember to who you belong and behave like it is true. Let me pray for you. Father, I pray that you would help us to experience and understand the beauty of Jesus, of who he is and what he has done for us on our behalf. (laughs) Everything that belongs to you belongs to us. And that we have the power to live as we are meant to live, which is to say, to live the life that you want us to live and to experience the joy and the freedom that that life brings. Help us to continually see you more clearly and to continually live out that life more clearly before others and for our own benefit and for your glory. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.